From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Wow, it's Monday again. Welcome to Open Line. It's the 29th of January, 2024. How are we nearly at the end of January? How is it nearly February? It's gone It's gone so quick and I didn't have the best of weeks last week. So I'm manifesting a more positive one. It's going to be good. We're starting the week well uh, on the right foot. We've got me, of course, Rick and Gemma coming up, but guests as well. We've got Francis O'Neill here to talk about the Mona Lisa charade. And we've got Jim Ferguson here to talk about the farmer protests as well. And uh, someone who's not protesting, who was claiming to do so at the start, at the end of last year, was Robbie Williams. There were lots of freedom fighters who were sharing his videos. He uh, was saying, we're in a post-truth world. You can't trust the media. You can't trust Big Pharma. And, uh, you know, a month or so after that, he starts pushing the shoplifting agenda. Uh, Do you remember all the shoplifting stories? And Robbie Williams was saying from Take That, oh, I'm going to go do some shoplifting and basically uh, trying to push it even further, saying there was a real issue in the country with it. Well, he's now signed up as well to a climate change concert. Now, we talk about controlled opposition a lot. Uh, There are always arguments as to whether someone's on our side or not. But this has got to be like the epitome or the embodiment, isn't it? of controlled opposition one uh, one moment given a massive video and a speech about not being able to trust scientists or the media or big pharma and then at the next moment actually signing up to a climate change concert uh, but not giving any of his own money away what do we reckon rick you reckon robbie williams is on our side i don't have a clue i don't follow him i don't pay any attention yeah. to him uh, you know he sang a song about angels 50 years ago and since then I don't really know what he's up to so good luck to him I hope he does well and all that business but what he's up to climate wise I have no idea in that sorry I can't give you my input that I don't have any (laughs) yeah mainly I I agree I agree but I think what we uh, have to uh, look at is that other people do. I mean, whether they're in the freedom Mm. movement or not, other people look up to these celebrities. And unfortunately, when you've got one person coming out and uh, you know, pretending he's on our side and then shifting, it it, it, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look, make our side look good. And of course, people are more likely to trust him, but that's one of those things. But another another story I saw in the good old Daily Fail uh, this morning uh, was, about if you're a bit worried about being robbed and they did a survey so this is this is a uh, uh, really uh, top news that if you're uh, uh, in on a monday uh, then that's the safest day but you've got to be really really careful because fridays are the day you're most likely to be robbed so change all your plans stay in every friday most burglaries 21.6 percent of burglaries in the uk happen on a friday so if you want to take it uh, in in that into account then you can change all your plans uh, just in case uh, more doom mongering and fear that you could possibly get robbed this friday rick yeah, stay on point every day of the week. Don't let your guard down. Stay focused. You know, keep your eyes in the back of your head and all that. You know, don't uh, don't let let your defenses down. I think that's sage advice, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, we've now got to take a quick pause, and we'll say hello to Gemma here at today's news talk. 
It's the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Morning, Gemma. Uh, you, better, you better stay in on Friday just in case uh, the robbers or the burglars are out in your area. Oh, well, if they came to my house, they'd get talked to death, wouldn't they? I'd be like, maybe <laughs> they'd, be, they'd be trying to clamoring to leave. I'd be like, don't touch that. No, put that down. You know, they'd be, they'd be like, this one's not worth it. Let's just go. I don't even think I've got anything worth stealing. There we go. <laughs> no, I was going to say there used to be a lot of people used to steal televisions and stuff, but they are uh, even now like second hand. They're so cheap. There's not much actually to steal anymore, is there, in people's houses? Uh, they carry their phones with them. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, we live in desperate times, I think, many people in the UK and desperate times often lead to desperate measures. Um, And and so much of crime in this country, that type of crime is fueled by addiction, which is the real thing that needs looking at. I think it's something like 95% of burglaries, like that domestic burglaries that end up in the court system here in the UK. I have a friend who works at uh, a Crown Court and he sees what comes through the doors and he says so much of it, Gem, is really upsetting because these people need help. They're, they're, They're really damaged people. And as I say, when you're desperate you do desperate things and I think a lot of people who've been re- rehabilitated through the prison service there's not much of that either unfortunately in the UK but when they've been rehabilitated or they've treated their addiction they, there is that kind of um, victim what do they call it when you, you meet the victim and you apologize restorative oh. justice I think they call yeah. it that happens because you realize what you've done and you've taken someone's jewelry that was left to them by their grandma and you know and you think what have I done and when you come out of the fog of addiction and you realize what you've done there is there is a lot of that that does go on reconciliation between burglary victims and and the perpetrators yeah I absolutely mm. agree and we talk about it a lot on open line about getting to the root of the problem and that simply not is not what's happening and and do you think uh, with the new story that you've got for us are they getting to the root of the problem by uh, bypassing GPs and going straight to pharmacies, Gemma? Well, this is something that's coming into force in England this week in 48 hours time. Uh, Pharmacists here in the UK, in England rather, because it's already been rolled out in Scotland, um, they're going to be given way more powers uh, to prescribe and to treat uh, common conditions. Now, I don't think we're probably a bit late to the table in England with this because I've been to America. Granted, it was Las Vegas, but I walked into a local supermarket with a pharmacy in the back. And I was shocked at what this pharmacy was able to dole out, you know, sleeping tablets and that. No, no, no consultation, really. Just, you know, having trouble sleeping, take these. And they were really strong. My friend wanted them for the flight back, not me. I don't take anything like that. Um, so pharmacies in, in the US already have quite a lot of sway. Um, and, and we're going the same way here in England. So from, fr- from Wednesday onwards, uh, this new scheme called Pharmacy First will mean that, you know, um, 10,000 chemists in England, that's a lot. Um, I mean, you'd be able to walk in without an appointment, have a very brief consultation with a pharmacist who'll then be able to dole out whatever medicine they see fit. Now, it's being dressed up as safe and easy and convenient for the customer who doesn't need to wait for a GP appointment or go online for a GP appointment. Now, as we all know, getting an appointment with a GP is like gold dust. So now this is being rolled out. Now, pharmacists will be able to treat and prescribe for seven basic conditions, earache, sore throats, sinusitis, shingles, which I would argue is not a basic condition at all, can come with a lot of complications, impetigo, urinary tract infections, which again, they have the potential to turn into kidney infections, um, and insect bites and stings. Um, Children under 10, because of the type of conditions that are uh, being, you know, handed over to pharmacists to, to treat uh, are most likely to benefit from this. So it is introducing children to the world of big pharma at quite a young 
age. Uh, you know, let's trot off to the pharmacist. You know, we talk about a pill for every ill, don't we? And that seems what's being doled out here. Um, and this is the crux of this, is that wrapped up in this scheme um, is pharmaceutical bosses and MPs are lobbying that pharmacies should play a greater role in delivering vaccinations to kids. Now, the, currently, they can offer COVID and flu vaccinations, but there are calls that pharmacists will also be able to um, give children MMR and the HPV, which we have talked about endlessly here on Open Line and across stations at TNT. So this looks like big pharma creeping in by stealth. They're dressing it up as safe and easy and, oh, look, it's so convenient for you. Uh, even one of the uh, uh, pharmacy uh, bosses quoted was saying, you know, you can do your weekly shop and then you can pop into the pharmacy. Um, they know it's all so easy, all so convenient. Well, we've heard that before. Um, so this is coming into force in England. In Scotland, it's already been rolled out. Interestingly, the stats that we've got from it being rolled out in Scotland uh, for people going in is that 86% of people when they go to the pharmacy are just given medication. That's it. Here's your pharmaceutical product. 10% some advice and only four referrals. So it does seem that you're not really getting a proper consultation where like you say, Natalie, let's get to the root of what's wrong with you, why you're ill. It's let's give you a product. And we all know that what we see on the pharmacist shelves come from the big pharmaceutical giants. So they're just different products with, you know, different side effects. But, you know, they come from on high. They come from these big, big, you know, GlaxoSmithKline and all these people. And we all know how nefarious they can be. Absolutely. And Rick, what do you reckon when they uh, have this pharmaceutical appointment? Do you think they're going to say, do you need, I think you should get more rest, sleep, eat better, you know, get more well, exercise? Or do you think they're just going to push them some type of pill or medicine? Okay, right. Uh, without doing any preparation in this at all, let me pretend I'm a pharmacist this morning and you're my customer, you're my sick patient. Okay, Gemma, you've got an earache, have some eardrops. You've got a sore throat, have some strepsils and maybe an antibiotic. You've got sinusitis, have some Vicks and maybe an antibiotic. You've got shingles, sorry, there's nothing it can do for you. Impedigo, I don't even know what that is. Urinary tract infection, more antibiotics. Infected insect pinks, more antibiotics and possibly an antihistamine. There you go, bish bash bosh, Rick Munn pharmacist. You're not going to get any different advice at the pharmacy. And what I want to know is, are the GPs having to do 30 million less appointments a year, are they going to have their pay docked as a result of that because they're not seeing 30 million appointments a year? Or are the pharmacists going to have their pay increased by virtue of the fact that they're taking on the so-called workload of the GPs, which is effectively just handing out little boxes of overpriced pharmaceutical products what an absolute scam this is and what an absolute state that the nhs that's in that they're sh sticking 30 million people a year through pharmacy to get them eardrops and fix vapor rub i just i i despair i really do i want to see the gps pay reduced uh proportionately to the amount of less appointments that they're having to do every day that's what i say well waiting lists at the moment are at the highest they've ever been you have to actually question don't you Gemma? what are we actually paying in anymore for mm. our nhs if we can't get a doctor's appointment mm. if we can't actually sit, see any consultant if the waiting list is so high and then we're being told that the pharmacists oh you j just go to them they're, they're, they'll give you a prescription uh, it almost seems uh, more like a business model doesn't it uh, are mm. they actually trying to treat us or are they just putting us on a conveyor belt uh, to push more pills or injections on us? Well, that's certainly how it looks because pharmacists aren't doctors. They're not. You know, they wear white coats when you go in, in the in England anyway. The pharmacist has got the white coat on because they're dispensing and they dispense all kinds of medicines. They dispense, you know, morphine at times. I used to, for my sins, I was a pharmacist. Uh, 
pharmacy assistant when I was very young. Uh, I was 18 and it was just a, a small like gap year uh, kind of job to earn some money. I learned a lot about drugs and I learned a lot about the way pharmacies operate when many moons ago when I worked in a pharmacy and the amount of drugs that, you know, I had lock and key for the safe, which had all the strong drugs in it. So pharmacists, you know, they have a considerable amount of power, but only to dispense, only to give, like you rightly say, Natalie, pharmaceutical products. There's no consultation because they're not trained. They're, you know, they're only they're, they have a limited capacity, and that capacity is to push drugs, to push drugs. So you have to ask as well. Uh, we all know about doctors being incentivized over the last few years to do to, to put people on ventilators, to give people tests, to give people shots. Will pharmacies or are pharmacies? It's already happening in Scotland. Being incentivized to to prescribe a particular type of product. If you go in with a particular type of so if you go in with a sore throat, are they giving everybody the same? treatments because they know they're going to get a bit of a kickback from Big Pharma for this particular new product that they've just launched. These are questions worth asking, but definitely that it looks on the face of it like it's drugs, 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 and normalizing it for, for children. Um, they've said, you know, children under the age of 10 will benefit from this. You don't want to normalize it in a kid's mind because you go on to become adults and then that's a solution to all your problems. Go and see a pharmacist, take some drugs, take more drugs, take more drugs. That's the, where this is ending. I've got, you know, personal experience of that after my last tension headache, which gave me a bleed in my eye. When I see or saw the consultant, he didn't even take my blood pressure that day and said I had to go on uh, uh, the cholesterol meds, statins and blood pressure meds. Um, and luckily, I haven't actually had uh, that follow up. I haven't had many letters, but I would like to say I had a, yet another smear test uh, letter through the post. So I'm assuming they must be on some time incentive mm. for that. So I'm literally getting like once a week, either a smear test letter or an immunization letter of some kind, whether it be for me or my children. But they're not actually trying to help me personally, Rick. They're, you know, mm. they're not actually trying to say, well, why did you get that bleeding now? Why do you get those tension headaches? How can we help? The answer, of course, is one thing and one thing only. Just make sure you put as many drugs in your system as possible. And what they don't realize, I was doing that recreationally for many years, which hasn't helped. And I don't want to go and take any more drugs at the moment. So there we are. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, just say no. Remember Grange just, Hill, yeah. Zamo Maguire, just say no. That message sunk deep into yeah. your skull now. And of that, we're eternally grateful. Yeah, <laughs> it might be for recreational ones, but we're saying it for Big Pharma now. We get. I actually did a video. What first? Uh, my first video on Twitter was hashtag just say no about the oh, COVID vaccine. Go. So there you go. I might put re-put that up again on Twitter later. So we're saying it again, but this time to the pharmaceutical industry, just say no. Just so thank you, no. Gemma, for uh, bringing that to us. And we'll, uh, you'll be back for Locked and Loaded, and I will see you tomorrow. And now uh, we've got Frances O'Neill after this short break here at today's News Talk. TNT's Bruce de Torres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase man-made pandemics by Merrill Nass. Just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics how to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare, how to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics, and whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help the population. populations. We start with the history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the COVID pandemic eventually arriving at plans to protect the future. She didn't put protect in quotes. 
but I just did verbally. World Stage and Bruce de Torres on today's News Talk TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk it's time to switch on today's news talk radio. Very entertaining. Yeah. TNT. Welcome back. Don't forget you can call in at the end of the show. Joining us now is Francis O'Neill. You can follow him on X at Francis O'Neill and his substack is francisoneill.substack.com. Um, he's a prolific yellow board campaigner and commentator and an artist by trade. He's here to talk about the infamous soup incident at the Mona Lisa, the charade that it was. Uh, for those that don't know much about it, it's a group calling themselves uh, Rispote Almonter. Uh, basically, they're a bit like Just Paul, Instinction Rebellion. Uh, they're claiming they need to protect the environment and food sources. It's all about climate change. They're actually calling for a food card worth €150 Euro to be given out to citizens each month to help them with food. Uh, but I just wanted to make it clear, they're not really supporting the farmers it's quite the opposite uh and uh works as a good distraction as well uh to take away from the farmers uh, uh protests at the same time so how did they kept past security francis just walking up to the mona lisa and pouring soup all over it well that's the question that i've had since there were a couple of similar attacks in the national gallery in london and uh, in the national gallery in london they have uh, scanners walk through scanners like going into an airport where um you know you did it and they have a bag check so it becomes quite difficult to imagine how people get so much time in front of one of these masterpieces in order to pull out a, a can of soup and throw it and then stand around pontificating and it's very difficult not to see this as part of a wider agenda in which these government institutions are almost um without being too conspiratorial, allowing this to happen because anybody who ever goes in these uh, museums knows that the attendants are actually quite strict. So if even if you have something like your rucksack on your back, they'll come along and tell you to put it on your front. Anybody who stands too close to a painting will be, uh, you know, sh maybe shouted at sometimes or certainly urged to step back from it. it there, there's something very untoward about what we're seeing. And actually, if you look at, um, as I have done, at the trustees and the chairs of, say, for example, the National Gallery, where we've had two of these attacks in London, you'll find that they are, these people who are our trustees are connected to a lot of the organizations and bodies with whom we associate the increasingly totalitarian measures since 2020. We have World Economic Forum people, we have Imperial College people involved in, um, you know, the internet security, and we have uh, global financiers. So it, from my mind, and I might be a bit suspicious, and, and I mean, but the past three, four years has made me a little bit suspicious. I see this as part of an agenda in which people are allowed into these museums or permitted in some way to con carry out these attacks so that other measures can then be implemented uh, that, that would 
that fulfills a wider agenda where they can then say, oh, maybe we need uh, laws to clamp down on protest. Maybe we need to bring in these food uh, passes or cards or rations to, to, to appease a, a different side of the agenda. But there is some wider work at play here that is not just about some like uh, uh, discontented environmental protesters throwing super around. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if you've been, I've been to see the Mona Lisa. And when I and I went, when I went, it was 20 people back. I couldn't even get, even if I wanted to, close to it. And that doesn't even include the security. And uh, when I went on to the Daily Fail, of course, the Mona Lisa was the top story. I had to scroll and I scrolled and I scrolled and I couldn't see anything about the farmers' protest. It's quite convenient timing that they happened to do that in France at exactly the same time that uh, Paris was having problems on the roads isn't it well i think you raise a good point because i think if you look at um protests which actually do oppose the prevailing totalitarian agenda they do not um they're not featured no matter how uh, well attended or how dramatic they are they do not feature in the mainstream media what we are given in the in the media are stories that serve the agenda so when you see stories like this of, of, of a very small amount of people doing uh, these kind of things, and obviously the Mona Lisa is um, uh, a very famous artwork, so you'd expect it to get some coverage. But the fact that they're so promoted and, and actually when you look into it, you'll find that people like Just Stop Oil, and this seems to be a, 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 a sort of a cousin group or a sister group in France, they're funded by... Um, in in the case of Just Stop Oil, it's by uh, the Getty heiress. So she's like the granddaughter of uh, John Paul Getty. So the oil tycoons are actually funding this. And I've had this, I've heard people explain this as a fact, like if, if restrictions are placed on oil, it actually bumps the price of oil up. So there's a financial incentive as well as the, uh, the wider agenda incentive for these um, uh, events to happen and they also serve the purposes of as I mentioned before of, of various um, strictures and regulations that they want to bring in whether it's clamping down on protests like because obviously um, Just Stop Oil are also famous throughout Europe for blocking roads right but in 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 Europe it's against the law to block the road and yet they're somehow allowed to stay there for prolonged periods of time blocking the roads and and again as you mentioned the, the they get high amounts of publicity for small events and massive events that um are, are, are demonstrations against the narrative against the, the the agenda that we see um unfolding around the world do not receive similar co coverage Absolutely. And you could say, couldn't you, Rick, that if they really didn't want this to happen, you know, it was that everybody knows the Mona Lisa's behind security. It's behind a glass screen. They've not actually done any damage. So if they didn't actually put it out into the media at all, no one would know about it and it wouldn't encourage people to do it again. But that's not the idea, is it, Rick? They want people to know these things are happening. Yeah. Plus, I mean, they usually have a professional camera crew at hand as well, you know, yeah. perfectly videoed, perfectly orchestrated. You notice no one's standing around them either when they're doing it. Normally you would expect a big, you know, as you say, 20 deep queuing up yeah. to see this, but they always seem to have a lot of space around them. I just find it incredible. And it actually, as you said, it accomplishes nothing as such. They didn't actually damage anything and they're just being an almighty pain in the ass. I don't think there's anybody that actually supports what they're doing, but in terms of what you've both said, 
said in terms of a distraction element. Look at what is going on in the world right now. Look at all the, the, the carnage that is happening in the world right now. But yet the vast majority of people would be happy enough to gravitate towards a headline like this because it's an easy distraction to take their minds off uh, the, the, the nitty gritty of what's going on in the world. And maybe that's that's part of the agenda too, you know, just this constant smoke and mirrors and distraction away from uh, what's really going on in the world. I think that's a great point. When you see these events happen with the soup in the galleries, there's always a bank of photographers waiting. Huh? So if the attendants didn't have any idea what was going on, that should be a clue. I don't know how they get cans of soup through airline-style security um, scanners when other people are having their bags gone through. And they wear just up oil T-shirts. It's not like these people are undercover guerrilla agents. And as you say, the, the targets that they've... Um, They've they've, uh, they've they've targeted uh, the paintings that they've targeted are behind a sometimes bulletproof glass like the Mona Lisa. So they're not actually doing damage, but they are getting a high amount of publicity for their for their um, actions. That they targeted in the National Gallery of Velasquez painting, which is also behind glass. They hit it with a hammer and a Van Gogh they threw super. Or oh, none of these paintings were damaged, but they do get a lot of um, publicity. And I, mm. I from my um, from my point of view, I find it hard to believe that. They're given so much time and space and uh, in the galleries to, to carry these things out when I've seen other minor indiscretions clamped down upon. We've mm. only got a, a little bit of time, but how do we fight back, Francis? Do, it, do you think we just have to keep covering uh, the other protests, make sure that they get the headlines as well, even if it isn't through the legacy media? Well, I think that's that's the only thing we can do because the, the legacy media will highlight what, what serves their agenda. And so it's, it falls to the rest of us to um, keep focusing on, on what we want and, and the causes that we wish to support. Because if we're always led around by the nose by the mainstream media, um, uh, reacting in a, always in a reactive way to the stories that they wish us to publicize, then it, it only serves to help their agenda. Whereas we have to focus on our agenda and make people aware of the stories and the um, movements and the, the, the actions that we think are important. Uh, so that gets greater prominence. Yeah, mm. and, that, and that's what I would uh, I agree. And that's what I try to do. So the, in social media, for example, I won't talk about the Mona Lisa because that will then get traction. But I have covered the farmer protests. And if we can carry on to do that, um, and, and I know it's easy to react to these stories, but try, the reaction is also what they're looking for. Uh, we've come to up to time, I'm afraid, Francis. Uh, don't forget you can follow him at Francis O'Neill on X, and we'd love to have you back soon. Uh, but we've got to go to the headlines uh, here at TNT, and we've got Jim Ferguson after the break. And here's the news. Extra, extra. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US President Joe Biden has exploded into a fit of rage on stage in South Carolina, where he referred to his rival Donald Trump as a loser. Meanwhile, the ex-commander-in-chief and a clear front-runner for the Republican presidential nomination has pledged to send reinforcements to Texas to secure the southern border if he's re-elected. And we're now being told the so-called eco-friendly paper straws are just as harmful to the environment as the plastic ones they replaced. 
globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Welcome back. Uh, We are gonna have to wait hopefully jim ferguson will be joining us shortly uh just a slight technical issue uh we've got some stories to cover ourselves though uh this one john lewis now we are here in the media the legacy media quite a lot there's there's no problems the economy's doing well we're gonna push ourselves uh forward we're not gonna go into recession well the john lewis partnership is reportedly considering losing up to eleven thousand jobs here in the uk in a bid to recover from a 230 million full year loss. I mean, that's quite bad. And uh, in terms of redundancy, I always thought and I heard, oh, it's great working for the John Lewis because they call uh, the staff are called partners, the partnership. And uh, they had an email that was leaked. Maybe it wasn't an accident. They're telling you it was an accident, uh, but uh, they got it out to all staff. So they Re- uh, reduce their redundancy so they used to get a full uh, a week of pay for every year of service uh, two weeks of pay and now they're reducing it to one year which is quite a big difference so if you've been there 14 years you used to get yeah you know two times that uh, suddenly overnight you'd be pretty mad if you didn't take your redundancy two weeks before that and your redundancy pay suddenly half so they reduce the redundancy pay uh, they're going to get rid of jobs it's not looking good I think they're hanging on so that obviously includes Waitrose as well uh, but yeah John Lewis there's a massive John Lewis in Reading it's very quiet in there I think they're struggling and this is a sign of the times Rick can you imagine, um, you know, the fact that they refer to their employees as partners? It's not the time you want to be a partner in a business that's losing 230 million quid for operating for a year. Can you imagine all the money that they have pumped into that business over the last 12 months, paying all the staff wages, paying to keep uh, the rents, to keep the doors open for the stores if they don't own the properties, the electric bills? all the bills that they have to pay, all the customers that come through, all the money that they take on the tills. And at the end of 12 months, not like you sit down and you do your balance sheet and you're showing 230 million quid loss. You know, the writing is on the wall here. It's very difficult to recover from a year on year loss like that, especially in the current climate when people are getting squeezed. John Lewis is a high end department store. You know, people just don't have three, four, five, six hundred quid to go in there and splurge out on homeware and one thing and another. So to be honest with you, uh, I would be, uh, you know, looking at my options if I was a quote partner, unquote, in John Lewis or an employee, whichever way you want to look at it and uh, take whatever redundancy payments that they were offering. Sad to see that being slashed in half but then again it's a sign of the times you know that's the that's the world we're living in at the minute 
It is, and that's why I thought I'd bring it to attention because we keep seeing in the mainstream media how uh, everything's going swimmingly, uh, but the but the real facts say different. The quote from John Lewis is, we're making changes as a high proportion of our current benefits package is weighted towards partners who have left. We want to better reward those currently who are working for us now. Uh, that's, a, that's a nice way of putting it, but uh, uh, they're trying to spin it, of course, but uh, the truth is that things aren't going so mm. well. An update quickly uh, from the uh, hearing uh, from the International Court of Justice. Uh, We knew that they were having a uh, meeting in terms of the Israel-Gaza-Palestine conflict. Uh, This was brought by South Africa. So what has actually now happened is the top United Nations court in The Hague on Friday did not order a ceasefire in Gaza, but told Israel to take measures to prevent and punish direct incitement of genocide. Uh, The president uh, noted that the court had found sufficient evidence of dispute for the genocide case, so will not throw it out. Um, But Israel has also been ordered uh, to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. Uh, So it's kind of a bit wishy-washy. They're saying, Mm. yeah, it might be genocide, but so try and not do genocide. And uh, do you know what I mean? Try Try, not to. Try your best, guys. <laughs> we know you're trying. Just try a little bit harder, not to slaughter innocent, uh, you know, yeah. children and bomb, bomb them I mean, indiscriminately. It's not something to laugh at, but it, it, it is, it is un- ridiculous. unbelievable the wishy washiness of it. I mean, it, that opening statement there, you know, the ICJ, <clears throat> excuse me, delivered its ruling. Uh, and, you know, it, you must take measures to prevent and punish direct incitement of genocide in the besieged enclave. Does that mean uh, you don't have to punish indirect efforts of uh, genocide in that enclave? So, this is just... Does that, mean, just does that mean if a missile strike, if they say they're putting a missile strike one yeah. place and then they say it accidentally backfires, yeah. that's allowed? That's okay. That that's all right. Indirect? Because it wasn't, yeah, it was indirect. Or if somebody sneezes and hits a button, you know, and it launches a missile strike on some uh, kid's place. Well, that, that, that was, th- that was right. indirect. That was indirect. So that's acceptable. It has, it can't be direct. You know, take measures to prevent it. Or what, what are they actually going to do? How are they actually going to get the people that are perpetrating this, that are actually launching these attacks? Or what are they going to do against uh, you know Netanyahu, who's you know who's sticking his fingers up basically uh, to this uh, hearing, and effectively what they're saying is, yeah, you know, try not try to try try to be a le- little bit less uh, discriminate whenever you're doing your bombings. I just think it's a whole it's a joke. You know, people have been waiting for this uh, outcome for the last you know week or two, and now that it's came out, it's a, it's a, it's a farce, Natalie. It's just a farce. Yeah, we've got um, uh, some what people have said. Palestine's Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, says it's an important reminder that no state is above the law. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu slammed the ruling as outrageous. Uh, That's not a surprise. The South African government called the ruling a decisive victory for international law. Uh, Palestinians in Gaza said they were devastated by the court's decision not to order Israel to cease its nearly four-month bombardment. The, the, The most... The most wishy-washy one, again, is by the United Kingdom. The statement they said a spokesperson for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office said that while the government respects the role and independence of the ICJ, it has considerable concerns about this case, which is not helpful in the goal of achieving a sustainable ceasefire. And Israel has the right to defend itself against 
Hamas, and that was from the United Kingdom. So they certainly seem to be taking sides, and it's not for the innocent women and children who are being bombed. No, and let's not uh, forget about the United States here as well, Natalie. Uh, the US said the ICJ ruling was consistent with Washington's view that Israel has the right to take action in accordance with international law to make sure October the 7th isn't repeated. But then they go on to say this, we continue to believe that allegations of genocide are unfounded and note that the court did not make a finding about genocide or call for a ceasefire in its ruling. It called for the unconditional immediate release of all hostages. So they're trying to deflect away from this. Someone, one of the yeah. judges in this hearing said it perfectly. They said, this is the first time in history that genocide is being documented in real time to the world's media through all the social media uh, posts that are going on and from the footage that's coming out on the ground. And listen, uh, if 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 Britain is attacked, if Ireland is attacked, if France is attacked, of course, every country has a right to defend itself. You know, think about it. However, if I break into your house and attack you, you know, and your kids, your right to defend yourself doesn't extend to you killing everyone that lives in my street, uh, you know, to get back at me, the perpetrator. You have to be uh, focused in your retaliations and you cannot do it indiscriminately, which is what's happening at the minute. And the figures don't lie. If you've seen the footage and the, the numbers coming out of there, you know, 20, 30,000 uh, innocent casualties, there are millions of people being displaced. How many of those are Hamas terrorists? How many of those were perpetrators of the October the 7th attack? I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing. You can't tell me that a, a kid or a baby or a, you know, a small girl or a small boy is a, is a terrorist. Uh, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. And, and anyway, the, the, the US are incorrect because they actually do say uh, there is sufficient ev evidence for dispute of the genocide case. So they're actually uh, making up their own rules uh, as usual in order to, to fend their position. Uh, so we will bring you more on this because this case hasn't finished uh, and they have to come back in a couple of months and see the evidence again there. Uh, but uh, yeah, a very, very wishy-washy verdict. That's the thing, and, but come back in a, co come back in a couple of months. Months while this bombing and displacement is still going on. Imagine you're living there. Imagine they're bombing raiding today, yeah. and the international court says, "Natalie, we're going to review this again in two months. Just hang in there. Oh. Just hang in until April, and uh, we'll look at this again. We'll look at it again. Uh, well, how would you feel?" It's it's not a funny uh, it's not a funny story at all. No, but I'm trying to make I'm light just, of an the, awful situation. It's the absurdity of it. About, it's the absurdity of it. Natalie. I was just it's about crazy. to say if they come back in a couple of months and go, I'm really sorry. I know the whole of Gaza yeah. is flattened now, no, and no one is there. alive. Yeah. I know no yeah. one's alive now. We should yeah. have done something two months ago. Sorry about that. It was genocide. We just mm -hmm. got it wrong, eh? Never yeah, mind. We, we got That's it wrong. Yeah, it, 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 you know, you have to laugh at it at this point, but it's but it is absolutely horrific. And uh, and uh, what 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 else what else can we do? But we will carry on to bring you the truth uh, here at today's news talk. Uh, and don't uh, make sure you miss it after the break. We've got lots more to cover here at TNT. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, 
please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The choice is between normal, Natalie Cheel, or crazy. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The choice is always uh, crazy with us. I don't think me and Rick have ever been called normal, but there you no. go. Uh, we've got a busy online chat, as usual, hidden in plain sight, just a bloke who asks questions. Holly, Marley Bites, um, going through. Uh, I'm trying to find some more. Elena, uh, we've got we've got drumstick. Uh, so get on there. It's nice and busy. Uh, we've uh, not, unfortunately, been able to get hold of uh, Jim Ferguson. I did think it was a technical issue. I don't like normally to blame people, but I have no issue blaming Sadiq Khan. Uh, terrible mm. traffic. He's stuck on the buses. And so there's only one person to blame for that, Rick. It has to be Sadiq Khan. Anything to do with London, it's always his fault, isn't it? It's Sadiq Khan's fault. So if you want to blame anyone for Jim not being on here this morning, blame yeah. Sadiq Khan. God bless That's him. It. He is actually stuck on the buses. Uh, so he's in public transport at the minute, which we wouldn't wish on anybody, especially no. land in public transport. So uh, hopefully Jim gets home today at some stage to his place of residence, and maybe we can pick him up uh, later on in the week. So uh, big shout out to Jim Ferguson. Sorry for your troubles this morning, but some things just yeah. can't be helped. And the, the, okay. the London bus is probably not the best place to do a live broadcast <laughs> from at the minute no, you know. and it doesn't and it just shows you i thought the ules was supposed to be working how come there's traffic rick there shouldn't be because there's post people are supposed to be paying not to have cars there and now and now he's ruining our guest as well he, he can't help himself. He gets they're everywhere. Attacking that's us. What he can't. They're attacking, they're attacking us from us. all angles. It used to be the internet they attacked us with. Natalie, it was technical gremlins. Now they're sabotaging the London transport network to stop our guests from that's getting it. home and coming on to uh, open lines. So yeah, it's all scared. good. We must be. We must be doing something right. Yeah, scared. Scared of the truth at today's news talk. Uh, but this is a funny story worth uh, going over. I did laugh. Uh, when I saw it and uh, uh, Rick then sent it to me as well. The UK records its warmest ever January temperature. Wow. Should we be scared, Rick? Climate change, is it? 
Well, you know what? Uh, I had a read of this, okay? I wanted to see how they span it or they spun it to make the Scottish Highlands a 20 degree C temperature, record breaking temperature in January. I thought this is not humanly possible, but apparently it was. So let's see uh, what they attribute this to. So uh, a new provisional record for the highest maximum temperature in January has been recorded in Northern Scotland of all places, according to the Met Office. Uh, and also they noticed, notice how they slip this one in. Elsewhere in the Highlands, wildfires have broken out, stretching over a mile. So they're trying to spin it that the Scottish Highlands is currently suffering from global warming in January. It's 20 degrees Celsius. It's positively tropical up there. And the place is going up in smoke with wildfires. Uh, I think they're exaggerating a little bit. Uh, they're attributing this. Uh, me meteorologist Becky Mitchell told Sky that southern winds have dragged milder air from Africa across the UK, which have triggered higher than normal temperatures. Again, I'm finding it hard to believe that winds from Africa have been dragged all across Europe and all the way up to the Scottish Highlands, and it's causing wildfires. Uh, they're bringing a Saharan dust cloud also, the parts of the UK, how, how, which may how result in... avoid everywhere else then? How did no. the UK and how did get it cross, cross the Atlantic Ocean and, you know, the Irish Sea and the English Channel all the way up to Scotland <laughs> where the Sahara dumped its sand on people's cars in Loch Lomond? I don't know, Natalie, but check this one out to you. A yellow warning for wind has also been issued by the Met Office for Northwest Scotland uh, until 5 p.m. last night. So, you know, they, they say this here, that the new record temperature beats the previous January high of 18 degrees Celsius uh, and 2003. But listen, they all seem to be set in the Scottish Highlands, uh, which I think is very odd. It's not Torquay or Skegness or Blackpool or any of these, you know, uh, warmer coastal resorts in England. It's the Scottish Highlands. And they say that part of the reason is called the Fulham Effect the Fulham effect, which is the movement of her from a wet, cold side of a mountain to a warmer, drier condition on the other side. So basically, some freak weather conditions happened, shoved a lot of cold air up and over a mountain, and it stopped at the other side and set the thermometers off. This is unbelievable, but they're spinning it as uh, the warmest day in record well, in January you know, in northern Scotland. This is obviously manipulation of statistics. Remember, they uh, keep telling us it's the hottest summer on record because they keep yeah. taking the temperature at airports, mm. which mm -hmm. is the hottest place in the country. Um, I just wonder at this point, are they just lighting a fire, Rick? Are they just <laughs> lighting an almighty bonfire <laughs> and then putting a temperature gauge, like holding they it are. out on the bonfire and then <laughs> exactly. saying, look. <laughs> effectively uh, so i'm gonna start i'm just gonna start wondering if i can do that in reading i'm gonna start a fire right and mm. next week and i'm gonna put the temperature gauge out and i'm gonna go record temperatures in reading the warmest the warmest ever for february you know effectively that's what they're doing I and mean, you have to laugh at it but people do believe this rubbish uh, you know older people uh, uh, who believe in the authorities are like oh yeah. this is it doesn't matter that we've had a whole a whole winter of awful rain and freezing conditions. If the Scottish Highlands had one bad temperature, it's global warming. We're all going to die. It's, it, and, and, you know, and it's from Africa and Saharan dust and all this, that and the other. And here's the thing, too. You mentioned about, you know, how, what are they doing? Lighting a fire and sticking the thermometer beside it. 
As you rightly pointed out, most of these record-breaking temperatures were taken at airports. But last year, another thing that they did was they used to have the temperature gauges uh, about you know a two feet above the ground. But now what they've done is they've moved it down to ground level, which is also causing an artificial spike in weather conditions. And the other thing, of course, is whenever you hear about, you know, it's the warmest summer on record, or we haven't seen temperatures like this for 143,000 years, or whatever it happens to be. You know, I didn't realize back then that they had the temperature gauges and they were keeping note of the temperature 143,000 years ago. What did they find? A little cave somewhere with a little stone etching on it going 20.2 degrees Celsius, you know, 600 BC. No, it's all complete bunkum. They're twisting and manipulating everything Natalie discards and they're trying to get as much of this in as possible even car crashes in Ireland uh, there was a young girl unfortunately died last week in a car crash they said it was due to the storm Insha or whatever the name of the storm was over here but then when you read the, the the what the story was about the car left the road and crashed into a tree sadly and killed this young girl so not the tree fell on the car she was blown off the road but she went off the road into a tree how can that be attributable directly to the storm? These type of accidents sadly happen every day, people leaving the roads and crashing into trees. So they're now trying to blame people's road deaths for storms as well. Maybe it had a factor in it, but you know, people die on the roads every day, whether or not there's storms or not. So they're really trying to hype this up. Yeah, and we see it all the time with the mainstream media. They'll take any story and exploit it to fit their agenda. And uh, this one is absolutely ridiculous. And 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 like like you said, I've discussed it with my sons a lot. You know, they say, "Oh, it's the hottest temperature in for hundred years." Do you really think that they the way they they could measure things? A hundred years ago, uh, with technology, were as accurate as now. How can how can an actual scientist sit there without pointing that out? You know the the techniques they've got. We can now measure to the you know to the milli like bit of a temperature. You know, but but oh no, it's got to be high. It's got to be higher now. Well, no, any normal scientist would be able to put that into the evidence, or you know, but it's not going to happen, is it? Because they just want it to fit into their mold. Well, you talk about progress in technology and science. Don't forget, we've actually regressed. There's a lot of talk over the weekend about the moon landings. Again, there's more dodgy footage being released. And of course, we had the technical capabilities, allegedly, to send people to the moon, what, 50 years ago? <laughs> we can't do it anymore. It's unbelievable. And remember that infamous phone call from the moon, uh, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. They somehow managed to get a landline into the president's office whenever that was actually happening, but they can't replicate it now uh you would almost think uh things are in regression not progression but that's just uh all part of the fallacy uh, that we're being pumped here you know lie after lie after lie yeah absolutely and <laughs> miley bite says i hope the little haggises that live on the mountains are safe from the wildfires in scotland are oh, we hope so too uh but this one this story we've got and don't forget you've still got a little while before uh, the end of the show but just over five minutes that you can call in uh this is fact figures show that michael healy ray has received it this is this is unbelievable 658 thousand euro for accommodating ukrainians now uh this guy's a td uh which means basically is a member of parliament in ireland and he's able basically as a politician this is awful to profit 
from housing Ukrainian refugees. I would rather say that's a conflict of interest mm -hmm. normally, wouldn't it be? 100%. How can a politician 100%. how can a politician be earning money um, from basically a political uh, decision that he's backing and not just a little bit of money, an absolute fortune, Rick? Yeah, and, and also note, Natalie, that's one one guest house that he owns as one. part of a firm that he owns. So the actual headline is, uh, this is in uh, Breaking News IE, County A, a single County Kerry guest house operated by a firm owned by the independent uh, Kerry TD, Michael Healy Ray, has received 658,770, including VAT for accommodating Ukrainians to date. Now, number one, it's a single guest house. And number two, this is an ongoing payment that's racking up. Wow. So whenever this story uh, was reported on or the financial period that was reporting on was 658,770 to date. So every day that goes by, that figure is increasing. Uh, new quarterly figures established by the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth show Healy Ray's Rosemount Guest House received 115,000 approximately between the 1st of July and the end of September. In addition to 544,000 uh, it received in the prior three quarters for accommodating Ukrainians. So this is a heck of a lot of money, Natalie. Uh, it was part of a £320 million payout by the state to all accommodation providers between July and September. That's uh, over a quarter of a billion euro in a quarter of the year paid out to guest houses simply to accommodate Ukrainians. And as you rightly say, conflict of interest. This guy is a sitting politician. He's an independent candidate for Kerry, County Kerry, and he's profiting to the tune of over two-thirds of a million euro from one guest house. I don't know if he owns any more. I don't know his financial affairs, but it's interesting. He has a firm that owns this guest house, and this is just one guest house, and this amount is ratching up by the day. It is insane. And 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 just to point out that it's just not him uh, on his own profiting. The combined bill for accommodating Ukrainians is 1.33 billion from January the 1st to September the 30th all over Ireland. And the owner of the largest hotel, City West Cape Raff Hotel in West Dublin, received 24 million for the third quarter in accommodating Ukrainians. Uh, so it's not just the uh, politician. There is a lot of people uh, who are making a lot of profit and 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 money and Sick. it's good business so there's when you sometimes wonder what's going on and why is it going on uh you know the reason these are being pushed through the reason they're telling you diversity equality inclusion they don't really mean that they mean we can make a lot of money off this and we're going to profit off this and we'll sell this virtue signaling lie while we uh, uh wreck the country and we make a lot of money from it uh so that's the way that i see it when you you look at these mm -hmm. figures i don't know how you can look at it any other way 24 million and a quarter natalie how many houses would 24 million have built how many beds would that have put into hospitals we talk uh frequently here about local services that are lost mental health services remember last week we had a a facility closing down in the town that I'm in at the minute yeah. for lack of funding for 50 adults with learning <laughs> difficulties. That means their whole lives are going to be put into a tailspin along with their cares. And they say they've no money. They have no money to keep things going. But yet in the Republic here, for example, 25 million in one quarter, 
to one hotel. That's 100 million a year just for one premises. And yet they say there's not enough money to take Irish homeless off the streets. There's not enough money to invest in rural infrastructure to help people with mental health issues. It's a sick and sorry state of affairs, not for sure. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I think what makes it worse for me is, you know, if there was some type of referendum, right, you know, we talk about a democracy and, you know, even if people had sold the lie and they'd taken it, you know, and it said 75% of people uh, back uh, funding and housing these Ukrainian residents or uh, uh, refugees, then you'd have to say, I don't agree with it, but, it, you know, fair enough. But at the moment, Rick, these these people, these politicians uh, are making decisions for us. They're not what the public wants. And then they're actually making money off it as well. It's adding insult to injury, isn't it? I understand. Listen, I understand if you have a business or have a business and, you know, you don't run a business to lose money. You run a business to make money. But how can these people sleep at night if you own that guest house, you're bringing in 650 grand a year, knowing people in your locality are broke or they're going homeless. How can you sleep at night pocketing two thirds of a, a million just from simply opening up a one guest house to refugees? You know, give some of it at least back into the community. It's a, it's a rotten state of affairs. It is morally and financially corrupt. Uh, we try instead to bring you the truth here at today's News Talk. I have been Natalie Chill. This has been Open Line. I will be back at nine o'clock tomorrow. Stay on to listen to Rick at Locked and Loaded. And you out there, have a great day in the meantime. Bye-bye.